Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Guma, tackling your stock-related questions this evening. Jean-Pierre Ferstad from Protea Capital Management and Nilas Hanjji from Old Mutual Investments. Don't forget to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks, gentlemen, for your time. Uh, so we've had quite a mixed picture in markets this week so far. Yesterday we had sour sentiment and then today we see a recovery in the markets, really seeming that markets are unsure. JP, starting with you, do you think that the markets are just in waiting? Well, I can't remember when last the markets were sure, Zanati. Yeah, so, yes, yeah. we are waiting. We're always waiting for the next data point. <laughs> we're always waiting for the next company results announcement. There were a few of those today. And uh, in this volatile macroeconomic environment, what we have seen is that some companies are doing well. They're outperforming expectations. Some, some companies are coming in below expectations. And that means there's even more volatility because people weren't positioned correctly for the results that were actually announced or their macroeconomic data when it does come out. People might have been positioned differently. So I know it feels like things are uncertain, yeah. but I would say that things are always uncertain and, and right now is no exception. Yeah, talking about uncertainty, I really do get the feeling that uh, when you look at investors, like the one foot is inside and the, and the other foot is outside the door. Nilash, where are your feet facing right now? <laughs> uh, good evening uh, to you and your listeners. <clears throat> well, we, we, we kind of put a boat, to be honest. Uh, we one step outside and waiting for the rain. Um, and the volatility for us provides us with opportunities. I think as as JP said, you know, we're just watching the markets. We're looking for good entry points. And, you know, as I said, markets are just looking for direction. But, yeah. you know, hardened investors just dig down, dig deep and wait for good opportunities to come our way. Yeah. What's the dollar doing right now, JP? Because a lot of people always say that when you're struggling to figure out what direction the markets are going in, just look at the dollar. Correct, yes. So the dollar has been a big driver for equity markets this year. So at the moment, we're at 1729. We're not big, it's not a big change on the day. But if we go back to a month ago, we were trading at roughly 1840. So the Rand has strengthened quite a bit against the dollar. And a lot of currencies have strengthened in the last month against the dollar. If you go back further, let's say year to date, uh, uh, up until a month ago, the dollar has been on a tear. It's been so strong. Now, that might have been good for companies who make their money in dollars, who operate within the US. But for any company who's got global operations, these very big currency movements are really difficult. It's difficult to manage your costs, to make sure that your gross profit margins or net profit margins are stable. And that has created havoc for a lot of companies. And it's created havoc for a lot of emerging markets, because as their currencies have weakened against the dollar, all the inputs, imports have been more expensive, especially oil. The oil price has been high as well. So for for more than almost any other year recently that I can remember, the dollar and currencies has been a, a very big driver of equity markets specifically in this year.
Mm. Talking about havoc, we saw um, what um, the markets did to Astral when they came out with their trading update a few weeks ago, warning about major price increases to the consumer, talking about extraordinary input costs that they've had to deal with. So we did have yesterday actually the results coming out. Um, I think that share was up about 1% on the day, but of course it does not make up for that 18% crash that we saw a few weeks ago. There is a question here on Astral Foods. Uh, what is the feeling about Astral Foods as a medium-term buy at the current price? It does not seem to have big ups and downs in the share price, well, except for a few weeks ago, and the dividends uh, twice a year look good. Is, it, um, uh, is a buy now sensible? Nilash, what's your view on Astral Foods? I think Astral Foods is a well-managed company, but it's, there's a lot of things that are out of management's control. Uh, the big driver, or at least what, what drove the share price higher before the collapse was, um, as I said, passing through price increases on poultry, which is their chicken business. But the key, key driver there is largely related to the, the maize price, which, as we've seen, input costs just continue to rise for that business, and they have to absorb that. Coupled with that, um, you know, they're still seeing imports coming from Brazil and Europe, which is kind of a regulation issue around dumping from the from the ex, from these other countries into South Africa. So, you know, they're going to be in a tough spot for a little while. I said one, trying to absorb these higher costs. Two, just being challenged with cheaper imports coming into the country. And it's maybe one where you know we don't mind just sitting on the sidelines for a little bit. Yeah. JP, would you be sitting on the sidelines or do you think that this is a great opportunity and that maybe this pressure is not going to last for very long? I mean, the viewers asking, I mean, at the current price, do you think it's cheap enough for someone who actually believes that it will recover at some point to, to, to dig into that opportunity right now? I think it's a reasonable opportunity at the moment. A lot will depend on the price increases that the company is going to try to put through now in the, the run up to Christmas. Uh, there'll be a lot of chickens consumed around a lot of tables in South Africa yeah. <laughs> uh, around the festive season. And what has happened in the past is when you do see a steep increase in the maize input price, as has happened now again, Astral has been able to pass on those price increases to the consumer. So if they can do that, yes, and I do think the current share price uh, is attractive. Um, the poultry profits are very volatile in this company. And they really manage everything under their control very well. And even some things that should be out of their control, like uh, electricity supply from government, fresh water supply from government, which hasn't been forthcoming. Uh, they've even taken control of that by building their own power plant, for instance, in, in Standerton. So um, a really good management team, but they're in a very difficult boat. And the boat is in very stormy waters. But if they can get the increases through, I think it's reasonably priced at, at, at the current uh, stock market price. All right, so that's an existing player already um, in, as a, a listed JC uh, company. But then you also have RCL, which has been mulling um, a separate listing of their rainbow unit. And I'm just trying to think, you talk about um, you know, the, the chicken business basically being in a volatile boat. Is it a good idea to take that out and list it separately when it has all these challenges? Uh, Nilash? Well, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, JP. Okay, you can you can go, JP. <laughs> Sorry, I'll do. I'll, I'll be quick, and then I'll let Nilesh uh, <laughs> add to that. I'll yeah. just say that obviously, RCL management doesn't want a volatile business like Rainbow <laughs> Chicken within their business structure. So they would rather give it to <laughs> okay. shareholders, and we can own it separately, and they don't need to take a, a responsibility for it. Ah, okay, Nilesh, your take on that? I mean, 
uh, just bringing out th that kind of company to the market while we're seeing all these headwinds um, really pressurizing Astral Foods? I, th I think I agree I agree with JP here. It's, it's putting it out there into market. One, just unlocking the value within RCL, but two, um, creating that accountability for the existing management within Rainbow Checkers, and three, giving shareholders like us, you know, or investors, the opportunity to make that decision uh, around investing or not. Yeah. All right. There is a question um, on coronation here. Uh, there's a consensus from analysts that the JSE asset managers have performed better than expected. Do you just hang on to your shares? Of course, we've seen um, <laughs> those shares really being beaten down, of course, as expected, um, with the volatility that we've seen in the markets, that filtering through to their results. So, I mean, do you just hang on to the shares right now and just wait for things to get better, JP? I think for the medium term, you can. A lot, again, depends on the key variable. In the case of coronation, there are two key variables. The one is the assets under management, and they've seen pressure there. They've seen outflows, and we know as a country, we aren't net savers anymore. We are a dis-saving country, unfortunately. Uh, and the other key variable is performance. And a year ago, they had some performance fees, and there was a, a lack of performance fees in this period, which also impacted the profits negatively. So keep your eye on those two things. What is going to happen to the assets under management? They give an update quarterly on the JSE and track their funds and see what their performance looks like. And if the performance turns more positive, then I think you can you can sleep well at night while holding your shares. But if those two key variables turn negative, you should consider selling. Ah, um, I remember when um, the money budget in the UK came out and there were concerns about uh, companies um, even the asset managers that are exposed to that market. And there was a little bit of caution, so of course, Quilter and 91. But I'm thinking in terms of coronation that's more domestically focused. And as JP said, they've mentioned that the savings pool in South Africa has decreased. There isn't really any meaningful uh, growth in the economy. So how do you look at a, a, a domestically focused asset manager like coronation compared to the ones now that are exposed to, for example, the UK? Uh, Nilash? Um, so I agree. So I think one is you have to look at it from uh, the business perspective in the sense of where, where, you know, where, where, is, where is the market situation, as I said, they're largely SA focused and to the products that they offer. So while Coronation is a local asset manager, they do have an international offering within their business, which is the globally market GEMS uh, fund. So I think it's one, it's, you know, ability to have the product and to the distribution and the client diversity within their business. I think, but the reality is a lot of asset managers are focused or are reliant on markets, uh, which again supports the AUM. I think the one big difference is South Africa, as, as we, you mentioned, is uh, the savings pool you know, is slowing. Um, so from a structural perspective, we are concerned that you just at a stage where coronation is maybe perhaps just too big for the market, as I said, experiencing outflows and needs the performance to turn. In that situation, it's not a bad place to hold on if you can still hold on for one, the performance to turn, or two, just cash in on the dividends. You know, they pay out more, almost 100% of their dividends, well, yesterday. And so we can just, uh, you know, bank in on those dividends and get the cash. Yeah. All right. Uh, still sticking to the financial services sector, we have Old Mutual um, saying that they are applying for a banking license. JP, um, yeah, how much attention are you paying to that? Yeah, I saw that, uh, that little note in the update. It's going to be interesting. Their, their partner to date has been Bidvest Bank, so uh, there, there needs to be a renegotiation of that relationship. 
if uh, Old Mutual don't need Bitwest Bank anymore, and they'll probably try to transition those clients onto their own banking license. And they've got a, a very big uh, a client base that they sell policies to, life, funeral, short, uh, some short-term insurance policies to. And I'm sure almost like what we've seen with Discovery is they'll offer a bank account and then they'll probably offer some incentives to say that um, if you are a client with multiple products uh, and you add the bank account as well, you'll probably get some specials uh, um, included. So uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, for a long while, we had less and less banks in this country uh, through some issues like VBS uh, on the one hand, but also some mergers that happen. So from a, from a country point of view, it's good to see that potentially we'll actually have a new entrant, a new participant, a new licensee in the banking yeah. industry to show that we aren't just shrinking as a banking industry. Um, Nilesh, I'm not sure if you can actually talk about that. <laughs> um, no, but, I can't, don't worry. Oh, okay, okay. But I just want to uh, quickly go to um, uh, uh, back to, to, to JP. I'll come back to you about life insurers in a moment. Uh, but JP, I mean, just, you know, Old Mutual going in now, trying to get into the banking sector. Should the existing banks start shaking in their boots? Or do you maybe think that this, was, this will play out as maybe more of a value add for Old Mutual uh, customers we'll need to wait and see remember that for a long time they they owned a stake in NetBank, so um, they had a bank banking capability through their um, firstly subsidiary and later associate which didn't quite work so i think the jury is out to see how they execute on this new strategy nilash just from you because there's the sense that the life insurers are unloved and um, also, some people are just wondering where the growth will come from. And I guess it makes sense now for Old Mutual to be trying to look for more uh, revenue streams. And I just want to know from you, is this a kind of maybe corporate action that we're going to start to see now as these life insurers co have come out of the COVID pandemic? Nila? Sure, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think sure. I mean, I think that that's it, right? Life insurance is a... Uh, over-penetrated market in South Africa, they are big incumbent players and that's led to more competition coming in. So we've seen more competition insurance coming from the likes of Capitec, the likes of First Rand, um, and we know Discovery has been probably one of the biggest competitors, you know, if you look at the last 20 years, just how they've taken market share from the big players. Um, and I think, you know, with the banks also trying to become insurers, so we see, you know, the other side, in insurers, you know, launching banking capabilities. And I think it makes sense from a strategic point of view. I think one of the key things, um, especially when it comes to customers, is how do financial companies engage with customers and uh, with a bank product? It's one of these things where customers, you're in contact with your bank way much more often, you know, almost on a daily basis as you check balances, make payments, just interacting with your normal bank account versus what, how you would interact with your insurance product, maybe via broker or direct. So it's one of these things, one that makes sense from a strategic perspective to try and one, defend your current market share and two, just interact or gain just more that customer centricity, um, which just insurers probably just need a bit more uh, of. Yeah, all right. Well, um, some more questions on the financial services sector. Uh, can the panel give their view on net bank growth for next year and dividend expectations? JP? Mm, well, I think all the banks are still coming out of COVID. So, um, you know, if you talk about earnings growth, they should all show strong numbers to, to some extent because of a base effect, NetBank being uh, no exception. And uh, they're all very well capitalized. We've seen, uh, for instance, uh, in first range results, um, 
there was a nice distribution to shareholders. So uh, there would be no reason to think anything else from it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so there's really also the sense that um, just financial services in general, uh, life insurers and also the banks are trading at uh, um, significant discounts. Nilash, what would you say the, 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 the cheapness of the banks is a function of? Well, I think we've seen um, the RAND uh, just being particularly weak uh, over the last week. I think, even if you exclude the last two weeks since the RAND has come back. Yeah. Uh, one is, you know, multiples have been impacted by just, you know, the, the South African environment. I think, you know, bond yields were going up with the stronger dollar. Um, the RAND weakened significantly. And we've just seen this huge uptick in load shedding over the last few weeks, which have kept, you know, prices just a bit more dampened in the recent, um, you know, yeah. period. Uh, but as JP said, I mean, the fundamentals for the banks remain strong. You know, the earnings are still there. Uh, they still expect strong capital positions which provides, you know, either dividends or share buybacks, which you're seeing from the likes of Investec. I think insurers, on the other hand, you know, are trading at significant discounts. <laughs> they, 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 they really look unloved. Um, and there they need some market performance or two, just the reality that COVID is over. They can release some of the capital and just pay back the dividends um, you know, or do something with their capital. I think that's was your question earlier around all mutual. All yeah. mutual is just being coy with capital, and now we know why. We want to invest in a big, you know, in a new bank. Yeah, <laughs> at least something exciting. Ah, all right. Uh, so looking forward to those developments over there. There's a question here on Bala World. Uh, do you think? Um, what do you think about Bala World uh, as a buy now at this price? Um, JP, do you think that people should be pouncing, especially because we've seen the kind of corporate action that they've been taking to kind of stick to their core functions? I'm still doing my calcs regarding Zida, the Avis yeah. and budget business that they'll unbundle before Christmas. So that's a nice Christmas present that, um, <laughs> that we'll get. And depending on your view of the fair value of that business, you would then work out what is the implied valuation on the rest of the ball world business. At the moment, it does seem like on a sum of the parts basis, Bali World is cheap. The big issue for me is they still have substantial exposure to Russia. And they've said they're taking a neutral approach. But I wonder if taking a neutral approach is not taking a pro-Russian approach in effect. Mm. Because the whole Western world effectively is putting on sanctions against Russia. And I think clearly from most media outlets, you can see uh, who the aggressor is uh, in the conflict in, in the Ukraine. So by taking a neutral approach, they do that run the risk that some Western countries might say to them, listen, uh, you're not playing ball and uh, they might get caught up in some future sanctions. Mm -hmm. If this conflict can end soon, uh, you could see a very sharp upward move in the ball world share price because that will take away this major risk that's currently, I think, dampening the share price of Wall World. Yeah, indeed, we did see those kinds of movements as well, for example, with Mondi. And then when they said that they're walking away, we did see a recovery in that share price. Um, Nilash, yeah, Bala World, um, the core business. And are you as worried as JP about that Russian operation? I think that that's exactly it. You know, it's, it's how, they, how they view the Russian business in the context of just, you know, an increasing, um, you know, um, conflict or slash sanctions environment, um, especially around Russia. I think two is, look, you have to give Balawad management credit. I think two years ago when they embarked on trying to unbind the ingrained business, people worry about capital allocation. People thought the acquisitions were happening at the wrong time. And, you know, they've, they've turned the ship around, you know, on the core business. 
So, you know, on one side you balance, you know, great management team who have delivered on this strategy, you know, in, in a lot of um, tough, tough criticism at that point in time around capital allocation. But the other side, it's they do have an exposure to Russia, which is becoming an increasingly uh, tough or challenging environment to operate in while you still have this ongoing pressure around Russian exposure and sanctions. And what does it mean to operate uh, in the territory in the future? Yeah. Talking about tough environments, uh, Zimbabwe is one with that hyperinflation that does distort uh, the numbers of some of the counters on the JC. Yesterday we had PPC and today we have Omnia. But we're basically being told to, to just brush it off and concentrate on the underlying performance that excludes that. JP, do you think that is the right kind of sentiment or are you maybe more nervous about it? Yeah, hyperinflationary adjustments is one of the trickier ones when it comes to financial statements and, and how to show what really is happening on a like-for-like -like basis. So Omnia has told us that I think it was up over 30% if you, yeah. if you adjust for, for that for Zimbabwe. But still, Zimbabwe is a major profit contributor. Yeah. And we've seen a number of companies in the past that operate in hyperinflationary environments that show certain accounting profits, even when adjusting for hyperinflation, but where the rubber hits the road is when they try to translate that into cash, when they try to extract cash from the hyperinflationary economy. And then quite often they get a fraction of the profit they thought they had on an accounting basis. Yeah. So uh, I am a little bit more nervous about Omnia because it's not easy to extract cash out of Zimbabwe. And then we also have this overhang of the SARS issue where the revenue service is, is potentially looking for a big number uh, from them for, for past transactions. So those are two issues that probably need to be cleared out uh, before I think the, the market in general will get very comfortable with Omnia. Yeah. Um, just still on Omnia, I spoke to the CEO uh, earlier on and he actually said um, that Zimbabwe is a core market for them on the fertilizer and mining side. But then they also said that um, in terms of revenue, it contributes less than 5%. So with all these troubles that it seems to be coming up with, does it not then make sense for them to kind of walk away from it? Because it doesn't seem really as significant as, as all their, their other operations. Nilash? So I think that's a great question for, for the companies themselves and the boards, <laughs> uh, because it is based on the regions that they, that they operate in. Um, and I think the key, one of the real issues is around the cash, because you do have a situation where the cash is stuck in the country. Even if you have to try and get a sale through, just as we see in Russia, while you can announce the sale, sometimes just getting the cash out of the country just becomes so much more difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a classic kind of uh, African roller coaster ride. When the currencies move, inflation rises, your, your cash is trapped, and we're just kind of stuck in the mud. <laughs> mm. um, so it's one of these things you just have to ride through, let the companies make the right decisions around capital, and see where they're invested in for the long term. Yeah. Um, so actually, before um, the show off air, JP and I were talking about how I saw him on Steinheist. Um, and there's actually a question here. Uh, can you comment on Steinhoff International? Of course, if you have watched the show, you'd know that um, <laughs> JP uh, basically shot the stock. Uh, so just coming to you, actually, wait, before even Nilash, so has your stance changed on Steinhoff after the whole debacle with their whole kind of recovery plan and with the, the, the legal settlements, JP? 
Look, uh, it is a different company now that, than what it was before the, the big fall. I think the big thing that the management team is grappling with is to extend the debt at the center. Mm. It's a big number, I think more than 11 billion euros. Uh, at the moment, it's still quite long tenure. So if they can extend it further, it means that Steinhoff is effectively an option on two very good businesses, Pepco and Pepco, and a smaller business in, in mattress firm and some, um, you know, greenlit bands in, in Australia. So uh, if they can extend the debt, it becomes an option. And if those two underlying businesses increase in value at a higher rate than the cost of the debt, there could be some good value in Steinhoff over the long term. Ah, all right. So not too negative. Uh, Nilash, your quick take on Steinhoff? No, I, I'm happy to to wait on the sidelines. <laughs> uh, these these businesses, when you have these situations, it takes a long time. Dealing with debt takes time. Yeah. Uh, option values, uh, markets turn. A lot of things happen in the in that same time. Uh, I'd rather use my money and allocate it elsewhere. Somewhere else. Okay. So uh, let's get to your stock picks where you'd rather allocate your money. Nilash, sticking with you. What's your stock pick for today? So I'm sticking with actually first rent, just as we're talking about banks. As I said, um, they still look reasonably attractive, strong capital. Um, momentum is still there. So earnings are coming through. First rent itself has a lot of capital. You know, you could see a good, a strong market update coming out. We've seen the other banks report and it's lagged. Um, yeah, it should be a nice recovery play. All right. And on your side, JP? In the last few months, I've taken a particular interest in the semiconductor industry. I mean, good company. I saw Warren Buffett bought shares in Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, but I'm picking a stock which is a semiconductor capital equipment business. It's a U.S. business called CLA Corporation, uh, and it makes the machines which checks the wafers that the silicon chips are cut out of to make sure that the wafers are pure. And that means that uh, they don't waste money by using wafers that have got some issues. Uh, the machines that they sell are very, very expensive, and there's so much money going into building new semiconductor manufacturing plants in the U.S. in particular, but also in Europe, that a lot of their machines will probably be bought. That's really good for them, so I think their prospects look bright. All right. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for your time and for your analysis today. Jean-Pierre Fester is from Protea Capital Management and Nilesh Hansji from Old Mutual Investments. A quick reminder, tomorrow at 10 a.m. we'll be bringing you the live presentation of Telcom's interim results, so be sure to tune in for that.